It's Christmas time at Harvest all year. How about that? Not just December, but all year we'll celebrate Christmas. We're in a series uh, that I entitled, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. So take out your Bibles and we'll finish that series this morning. So Merry Christmas. Did everyone have a wonderful Christmas? Yeah? We got Ebenezer's out there this morning or what? Ours was wonderful. It was great. And we were praying for you to have a great Christmas. But we're going to finish our Christmas series today, and then we're going to move into the new year, opening the Word of God and continue to move forward. Uh, But be faithful in your tithes and your offerings. We have traditionally a lower attendance, so you're probably wondering what's going on. People are traveling, and this is uh, the pattern of churches at this uh, Sunday after the holiday. And so for those who can't be here, pray for them. Pray that the, the Holy Spirit would again be strong in their life on the Lord's Day. If you happen to travel and you miss harvest on a Sunday, uh, be sure to find a church. Uh, do not not go to church just because you're on vacation or you're traveling. Find a church, and I would be happy to try to uh, locate one for you or if you wanted to get some recommendations wherever you're going. People have done that through the years. They've asked me, so can you recommend a church and so-and-so? And I would try to do that. So let me ask you a question. What did you get for Christmas? What did you get? Anybody? Anything really exciting and really awesome? Yeah? Colored pencils. Yeah, that's nice. This guy's an amazing artist, by the way. How about on our screen here? Did you get one of these? I don't think anybody got one of these. This is actually a Rolls-Royce priced at $445,000, and somebody got this for Christmas. Uh, If you wanted a cheaper version, you could go with the blue, and you'd save about 50 grand. Uh, Anyhow, there are a lot of gifts that were being given. What did you get for Christmas? But that's not our focus today. Our focus today is Jesus. We are in this series called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. We saw that Jesus is coming. We saw that Jesus is coronated. And then we saw that Jesus is consolation. And you can go to our website and listen to any of those messages because they're up if you happen to miss those. So the title of the message today is Jesus is Conqueror. Jesus is Conqueror. And it's important for all of us, the people of God, to know that Jesus is our conqueror. And the Bible says that we are more than conquerors because of our relationship with Christ. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is the most important thing I could probably say today, that uh, Jesus needs to be the savior of your life. He needs to be the Lord, and that comes through repentance and trusting that your sins will be forgiven if you come to him and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. That would be something that would be incredible. We're talking about conquerors. I wanna do a little trivia with you. Did you skip history class like I did growing up? I went to lunch and gym. Those are my favorite courses in school. But uh, I didn't go to history that much, and so I'm going to do a little history with you on conquerors. There are going to be some images on the screen. See if you can name who these conquerors are. These are world conquerors. Does anybody know who this is? No, that, that guy, that's Hannibal. Not Hannibal Lecter. You're thinking, oh, that guy? No, not that guy. This is a world conqueror named Hannibal a long time ago. So long ago, you had to make a statue out of him because there's no film to take a picture or artist. How about the next one? Anybody know who that is? Yeah, there you go. You went to class that day, right? <laughs> and you learned a little bit about Napoleon. <laughs> Here's another one. World Conquerors. Anybody know who that is? That is Alexander the Great. I'm impressed with our church this morning. And then you might be familiar with this one, World Conqueror. <laughs> Anybody know who that is? Anybody see Star Wars? Not too many seen Star Wars. Okay. We're talking about conquerors. I love the, the text in Romans 8. That's where I want you to take your Bibles. Go to Romans 8. Verses 31 down to verse 39 will be our text. 
Jesus is conqueror. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. And that is a, a wonderful statement that we'll look at in a little bit. But I want to give you some historical context, maybe some biblical context, not historical. I'll give you some biblical context. This is the book of Romans. It is by far the most theological book. Has anybody ever done a study in the book of Romans before? Anybody? We got like Bible scholars on this side, and this side there was no hands up, but that's okay. Uh, the book of Romans is a theological letter. It is probably the, the heaviest, the most intense. Really the theme of the book of Romans is the gospel of our salvation. Uh, if you were to look at the whole letter, and I encourage you to read it, uh, study it, uh, get a Bible teacher, maybe a commentary, and go through the book of Romans. Maybe we'll do it as a church someday. But it is an intensely theological letter, but it is also very practical, and there's a lot of application in the book of Romans. Uh, it's one of my favorite New Testament books, written by the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, Paul said that he was set apart for the gospel. So in the book of Romans, you have the gospel of our salvation. You have how does a person meet Jesus? How does a person become born again? And he talks about a whole lot of things in and through the whole letter to the Romans. In 116, he said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of our salvation, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Up until chapter 3 and verse 21, he is outlining all of the things that man struggles with, like the fall, judgment, sin. Uh, all of the things that we will face in this life are outlined in and through those first three or four chapters. In chapter 4, he highlights Abraham, and he talks about justification by faith alone. Now, if you're uh, familiar with the Reformers, Reformers were some of my heroes in the Christian church, the history of the church. They came up with some solas, they called them. And one of those solas was sola fide, which means faith alone. And so Paul, in that chapter, very important chapter, he's talking about justification by faith alone or sola fide. In other words, a person is justified in the eyes of God, not because of our works. And if you're from a works righteousness kind of a background like I was in Catholicism, uh, then you would try to get to heaven by your works. Well, the Bible does teach sola fide. It's faith alone. It's God coming down on a person and actually creating the faith inside of someone to believe in his son. Uh, the Reformers, I think, got that right. Uh, it's one of the major doctrines of the historic Christian faith. But Paul gives an outline of some of that in chapter 4 of Romans. Chapter 5, he talks about life in Christ. He talks about how we're dead in Adam, but we're alive in Christ. Of course, Adam was uh, the, the first. It was, it's called our prodigy, the fall, the original fall was Adam and Eve falling into sin. And then everybody born since then is, is really condemned. They're condemned to die and spend eternity in hell. Of course, the gospel that Paul outlines in Romans is that wonderful gospel that saves us by his grace and saves us by faith alone. So that's chapter five. Chapter six, he talks about sin and righteousness and the contrast between the two. Chapter seven, he moves into the battle of indwelling sin. And you remember Paul is struggling in chapter 7, and he's saying, there's this law that I see inside of me, and I want to do what's right, but I end up doing what's wrong. And it's so cool how, uh, what is your name again? Andy. Sorry about that. It's been a long Christmas. <laughs> I, I drew a blank on your first name. That was weird. Uh, how Andy shared that. That's a Romans 7 battle. I mean, I'm not saying it was his flesh. It might have been. I don't know some of the detail of that, that battle, but he's so vulnerable to explain that. Well, the Apostle Paul in chapter 7 is being very vulnerable about his Christianity. And listen, folks, we need to be vulnerable about our Christianity. If Paul can do that in Romans 7 for the whole history of the church to know about, then certainly we can as Christians. So that's chapter 7. It's a wonderful chapter. Chapter 8, 
is where we are, and it's life in the Holy Spirit, or I say it like this, security in the Spirit. And the relationship, and again, Andy had talked about the Spirit of the Lord, which I love when he talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit is moving. All right, so let's go to chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. I want to start there with you before we look at our text. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Obviously, you have to be in Christ to avoid the condemnation that is coming to all humanity who are rejecting Jesus Christ. Man, you don't want to be in that camp. You don't want to be in that camp. You want to be in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he's going to move through chapter 8, talking about this relationship with the Holy Spirit, and in particular, our salvation. So remember, Jesus is conqueror. Obviously, we're not in the manger scenes or those texts anymore, but we're moving beyond that because I think it's important for us to understand that our salvation, listen, is indestructible. It's indestructible. In other words, it's invincible. If somebody has true salvation, then their salvation can never be altered. It can never be overthrown. It can never be defeated. You can never lose it. That's what Paul's talking about in the book of Romans, and especially chapter 8, which we'll look at. That's important to know, that there is no one that can come against you that would cause you to ever ultimately lose your faith. So we're going to look at some of that. Let me go back in the text a little bit with you. We're going to look at, again, verses 31 down to verse 35. I'm going to give you just two points out of this section, and I think there's a handout that you might have if you want to write these in. Here's number one. This is, Jesus is conqueror, and we can have the confidence that God is pushing back all of our opposition. All of our opposition, and I mean all of it. You're going to have some people oppose you. You're going to have demons oppose you. You're going to have sometimes the devil oppose you. I don't think the devil's really attacking too many people individually. Uh, he maybe go after some key leaders, some key people, that kind of thing in the history of the church. Probably never came after me, but there have been demons that have come after me, uh, demons that have manifested uh, literally in front of my eyes. That has happened. Not a lot. Uh, flesh is an opposer. People are an opposer. It could be a boss. It could be a spouse. It could be somebody persecuting you. Whatever the opposition is, all of the opposition in Christ will be pushed back. This is what God is doing. He's protecting the salvation that he gave you. He's making sure it's going to be successful to the end. Some, some good verses. We'll look at this. But I want to back up a little bit before we go into verse 31 and look at this because Paul is saying something very important as we begin our section of study here. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Look at the question there, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? What things is he talking about? Does anybody know? What things is he referring to? What do you do when you want to try to answer a question? You go back before the question is asked, and you see what he was talking about, and that's in verses 29 and verse 30. So look at verse 29 and verse 30. What's it say here? Chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the destination of every Christian is predetermined and that predetermined destination is the likeness of Christ. In other words, you're going to become like Jesus, whether you want to or not. You're saying, well, well I don't understand that comment. Listen, you're going to want to if you're really in Christ. That's the point. 
and you're going to want it so bad that nothing is going to stop you. So he's saying that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he, watch this, this is called what is known as the, the golden chain of salvation. Now watch this. This is, this is going to be like money for you when people come against you or when a circumstance is overwhelming your life or you feel like you're not going to be able to go another step in your Christian life because it's being wrecked by the enemy. No, you can't. You can't wreck it. It can't. It can't be done. The golden chain of salvation. Watch this verse. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. So you're predestined. Then you're called. And those whom he called, he also did what? He justified them, and that happens during the conversion process. And those whom he justified, he also did what? He glorified. There's the golden chain of salvation. You cannot have one without the other. In other words, if it begins with God predestining us and then electing us and calling us and then converting us and then bringing us all to glory, you cannot have one link of the chain and not another. They all go together. If he starts it, he's going to finish it. I have a chain that's up here, and I've used this chain multiple times in different illustrations. Now, this chain is like, this is unbreakable. I don't care how much steroids you're on. Anybody on steroids out there? Hopefully not. And so this chain right here is really heavy and really strong. And this is going to represent the golden chain of salvation. So part of this is predestination. This link is predestination. Maybe the next one would be the calling of God. And then you got God doing everything in between. He's justifying you. And one of the chains is justification. One of the links, I should say, is justification. And this is really heavy, so this is going to be a quick illustration here. And then it's going to be a call. It's going to be justification. It's going to be glorification. You cannot break the chain. Nobody can break the chain. The devil can't break the chain of salvation once he's begun that and work in you. He's going to bring it all the way to glory, which means all the way to the kingdom, heaven. And you're going to make it from the beginning all the way to the end. In other words, your salvation is invincible. In other words, you're indestructible, your salvation. That is so important to know, that when Jesus is conqueror, he has conquered all of our opposition. And since you're a more than a conqueror, that he is in you and you're in him, then you're going to go from the very beginning of where God predestined you all the way to glory. That is the chain you want to hold on to. That's a chain that you want to believe in. Now, some evangelicals or Christians want to take some of these chains and remove them. And they want to say, well, you could be predestined, and then you could be called, but the whole justification, I do hold on to that. And then they start messing with some of these links. You can't prove that scripturally. What Paul is saying here is heavy theology. It's God who came down in the form of a baby, and then he dies, and he's dying to accomplish something very specific. And every opponent that Christ ever had, like Herod, remember Herod tried to get, get him killed when he was just a little baby and Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt? Wasn't that an opposition against the baby Jesus? But what did God do? He intervened. In other words, Jesus couldn't fail. He couldn't fail. There's no failure with Christ. And there really is no ultimate failure for you in your salvation. It just won't happen. He's pushing back all of our opposition. The golden chain of salvation. The rest of the verse says in verse 31, if you'll take your eyes there, if God is for us, who can be against us? What's the answer to that question? If God is for me, 
Who can be against me? What's the answer? Anybody know? No one. And this is where Paul's going through this argument through the, the, the chapter here in the book of Romans is that there is nothing that is more powerful, more sovereign than God. There's not a person that's more sovereign. It doesn't matter if it's Hannibal, if it's Alexander the Great, or it doesn't matter if it's, you know, any world conqueror. It's not Herod. It's not that person that is at work that is taunting you and, and just really coming against you. It's not that person. It's no one, Paul says. God is most powerful. He is omnipotent. And so here in Romans 8, this is going to be the end of a lot of his um, teachings on salvation. And then he transitions chapter 9 to the end of the book, but he gets to this like Everest. He, he's like climbing up into chapter 8, and he's ascending to the peak of this theological Everest, and he shouts it out, and he says, God is omnipotent. God is more powerful than anything. He's more powerful than anyone. And this is the God that saved you. So he's asking a very important question. If God is for me, I want you to say that to yourself. You can say it under your breath. God, you're for me. You're for me. Now listen, it, a little vulnerability, like Andy said. In the midst of complete darkness, in the midst of your hell, in the midst of your deep waters, or whatever you want to call it, the enemy is going to say something to your mind, and it's going to be contrary to that statement right there. Do you want to go back to that statement? I remember thinking to myself, cursed. Have you ever thought yourself cursed because things in your life have not been going the way that you thought that they should? Right? Are you with me on that? So here's what you want to do with this verse. You want to say, whoa, no, no. No, because God, you're for me. Because I really thought God was against me. Is that from the devil or what? Don't allow the enemy to speak into your mind like that. Your, your life might be down real low right now, but God's going to bring that up again. But in the midst of that low point you're in, God is for you still. He is for you. He is never against his own. Now, he'll be against those who reject his son, but he's never against you who belong to him. Does that make any sense? Hold on to that truth. All opposition is going to be pushed back. He uses this, he says who a lot. Verse 31, he says who. Verse 33, he says who in verse 34. And who's the who? The who is any person. Could be an atheist, could be an agnostic. It could be somebody persecuting you. Could be a spouse that's against Jesus and you're married to them. It could be somebody lying about you, slandering you, hurting you in any way. Any unbeliever who comes against you, remember, Paul's in, in a prison here, and he's writing what is known as a prison letter. It's a prison epistle. And if anybody understood opposition, it's the Apostle Paul. So he's writing not only by the Spirit of the Lord, but the Spirit is using his circumstances, as he uses all of our circumstances, to give us truth. And he's giving Paul these, these revelations that we call Romans, and he understands having adversaries, but he also knows that he triumphs always in Christ. In other words, you're always going to win. Does that make anybody excited here? Seriously, you're always going to be on the winning team. You ever been on a losing team before? I was on a softball team one time when we won only one game out of like 20 games. It was awful. It took me weeks to get over those losses. And Lisa's like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I'm just depressed. I can't get out of this. I hated losing. I was on a losing team. You know, as a Christian now, I am always on the winning team. Always. You're not a loser. You're a winner. You're always a winner. 
every opposition. So Paul understood that he triumphs always in Christ, always. God was on his side to cause a win every time. That's like having the New England Patriots on your side because they win all the time. That was for my brother-in-law. You're welcome. Jesus is on our side. There is no opponent that can come against you where you're ultimately gonna lose your faith, that you're doomed, and it's like, oh, no, it's because of, no, no. Every opposition is pushed back. Look at verse 32 here. This is wonderful. Paul goes on, he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. In other words, the father is giving the son to die on a cross. He gave him up for us all. Who's the us? It's for those in Christ. He's talking, he's talking about the church here. He's talking about believers. And, and Jesus was given to us all. And how will we, he not, watch this, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if he's going to give his son so that he dies a cruel death and is punished for you, you don't think he's going to take that experience and just take you through it all, everything that you're going to experience in your life, no matter how hard it is, and he's going to give you everything that you need to be able to get through that? If he gave Jesus for you to get saved, you don't think that in this moment of your dark night of the soul, he's not going to provide everything graciously for you in your salvation so that you'll make it through that? That's where he's going with this. Man, this is, this is a great truth here, but he's really drilling it home to his, his Roman listeners here, to these believers, because, man, they had a lot of opposition in Rome. I think their opposition was probably worse than what we face, I would imagine, right? Verse 33. Watch this. Look at it. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is a question here. It is God who justifies. Who's going to bring a charge against you because you're elect? A Christian is an elect person. What is he talking about here? Well, the, the enemy of our soul, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren, right? Did you know that? Did you know that the enemy goes and he tries to accuse you all the time? That's the enemy, the devil. And this is a, this is a courtroom scene. He's kind of given us this legal terms. Justification is a legal term. And so he's talking about that throughout the book of Romans, and he says here something very important for us to understand. Who's going to bring a charge against you? If the, if the enemy comes to, to God and he brings a charge against you as a believer, is that going to be legitimate? No. can never be because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. God is the one who justifies. It could be looked at like this. Satan is your prosecutor. He's coming against you. Obviously, God is the judge, and Jesus is our defense attorney. And listen, Jesus, as a defense attorney, never loses. Never loses a court case. He always wins, all the time. Notice verse 34. Take your eyes there, and I'll read it out loud. Who is, another question, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is always interceding for me and for you. This is a wonderful truth, the intercession of the Son of God. Look at verse 35. We'll keep going down through the text. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Another question. Paul asks a lot of these. Shall tribulation or distresses or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then he quotes Psalm. I think it's 44, verse 22 there. He's re referring to all of these experiences that he himself has actually experienced. 
Paul went through a lot of this. He understands it in a very practical way, what it means to be opposed by the enemies of his life. He's been hurt over and over again. He's gone through all kinds of temptations, demonic attacks, oppression from the enemy, uh, and he's seen it all. He's seen a possession of the enemy in people's lives. Apostle Paul was well acquainted with all of that. The enemy wants you, listen, the enemy wants you to believe that God isn't the lifter of your head. What do I mean by that? Look at Psalm on the screen with me. Psalm chapter three. Look at verses one to four. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Now this is David, and he's writing this because Absalom, his own son, is opposing him. Have you ever had an off, your, your son or daughter oppose you? Have you ever had your son come up against you? Your daughter come up against you, and it's unjustified, it's hurtful, it's hard. You see, opposition can come in a lot of different ways. David was experiencing opposition from his own son, and he writes this section of scripture. This is very important for us to hear. Many are rising against me. Of course, his own son is in that. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Here comes the accusations. Here comes the things that are being said about him and his relationship with God. There is no God that's going to deliver him. This is what they're saying. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Some of you have been looking down because of the opposition. Some of you have been hurt so deeply that your head is looking down, and God is saying, no, I'm going to lift your head up. I want your head to go up towards me, vertical, right? We call it vertical. In, Christian, in our church, in our, uh, our world here. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Isn't that wonderful? You gotta listen to a song sometime by the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, write this down and remember it. The Brooklyn Tabernacle. And they have a song uh, that is, what's the name of this, the title? We just listened to it recently. Oh. I'll find it. If anybody's interested, I'll text it to you. But it's a song that I listen to and Lisa listened to over and over and over and over again. Because when your head is down and when you're looking down because you can't look up, remember Psalm 3 and then listen to this song. And I promise you, God will use that. And all of your opposition will start to just flee away from you. It's one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture. Jesus is the conqueror here. He died, he was raised, he's at the right hand interceding. That is a conqueror. He lists a whole lot of things here, which I've already read, tribulation, which would be trials, distresses, which is, the word for distress means like there's this outward pressure coming upon you that's causing inward stress. We can all relate to that. Persecution, he gives in this list. Famine and nakedness, which would mean loss. Danger would be violence and sword would be death. All of those things, all of those posing us will be pushed back, every single one of them. Here's number two, write this in. God is turning all things around. This is wonderful. It's in verses 36 to verse 39. God is turning all things. Can we all say all? <laughs> you gotta remember, it's all. It's all. There's not one thing in your life that's ever happened to you that was horrific and hard and bad and even sinful that God isn't taking and using to redeem you, to bring you to the place of his image being reflected in you. All means all. Now, I, I know there's going to be pushback in people's minds, at least, because you're thinking that which happened to me was so horrific, I can't even begin to fathom how God could use that. But just try to hold on to the truths of the Lord. Try to go through this process. I want you to see what Paul says here. 
verses 36 down to verse 39. Can we read it? I'm gonna read it out loud. You follow along again. There's Psalm, I think it's 44:22. As it is written, he quotes it, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep as uh, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There it is, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in this all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's turning all things. I'm going to show you some verses out of Genesis on the screen, verse 16 and 19 of chapter 50. And if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph had some opposition against his life, right? Do you know the story of Joseph at all? Do you remember uh, who threw him in the pit? His brothers threw him in the pit. Joseph had a dream, and maybe he could have scaled back on bragging about it a little bit. I think that brag was still even used of the Lord, right? Think about that. Even in Joseph's flesh, he does something, leads him, lands, him, lands him in a pit, and it's still used of the Lord. It's phenomenal. Think about that, because sometimes, for those of you who have gotten yourself, you stepped on a, like a sin grenade in your life, and you blew your life apart, Anybody stepped on a sin grenade and your life was blown apart? Seriously? Yeah? Boom, you know? You're going you're gonna to want that, that truth. Because even your sin, that doesn't mean you go out and keep sinning, right? But even your sin, God's going to use. He's going to turn it around for good. So Joseph had a dream, and he brags on a little bit. Of course, his brothers throw him into the pit, and then he's lifted out of the pit. It's a wonderful story, but I want to see these verses with you here, and you're familiar with them if you've been a Christian for a while. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. That statement could be a sermon on its own. Is there another one? Is that where it ends right there? There's another verse there that I wanted to have in there that says that um, what you meant for evil, what was it? God meant it for good. How does Joseph say something like that? He got to the place after, what was it, 13 years in a prison because Potiphar's wife lied about him. And then he rises to the pinnacle in the palace. His brothers come to him. They don't recognize him at first. And then we have all of this scenario that we were just reading. And then Joseph can say, you know what? God took what was evil, and he's going to make it into good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I want you to think about that person who hurt you. Joseph's brothers hurt him, right? Think about the person that hurt you. Can you say like Joseph said? Maybe not to their face, but in your heart. What he did to me, he meant evil. But God is turning it to good. When you can get to that place, man, there's some healing that's happened in your heart. And some of you are thinking, you know what? I haven't got there. But that's okay because God is going to make sure you get there. He is. You're going to get there. It's not because somebody else got there before you that they're a better Christian than you are. No, 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 we don't compare like that. God has timing for everybody's healing in different ways. I love the story of Joseph. What a great, great man. Here's a guy on 
I'm going to show you on the screen here. His name's Louis Zamperini. Anybody familiar with Louis Zamperini? He went through some serious, he went through some hard times. Louis did. He, was, he went down in the South Pacific during World War II, and he was on a raft for, I don't know, maybe a month and a half. I can't remember the days. So it was a movie called, what? Do you remember it? Unbroken? Is that what it was called? And, and it's a great story of a man who went through some horrific things, and he was unbroken by it. I really think that God's hand was on him, even though he wasn't a Christian yet. I think he had pre-salvation grace. It's called previent grace, theologically. So Louis is on a raft, and he's floating around. I think like one or two of the guys died on that raft. And then he's picked up by the Japanese, and he's in a prison camp. Now watch the text here, because the text is going to say something. He quoted Psalm 44:22, talking about being led as sheep to a slaughtered, a slaughter. In other words, your life is in this place where it's so hard. You're just thinking, I'm just going to end up dying here. It's never going to change. It's never going to get better. And you're like that sheep that's just, it's just waiting for its time until it's slaughtered. Do you think that Louis Zamperini was thinking that? I would imagine so. Not only on a raft, but then he's in a prison, multiple prisons, and he's thinking, I'm just like a sheep ready to be slaughtered. How could it ever, my life, ever turn to good? Oh, but it did for Louis Zamperini. Do you know the rest of the story? They wrote, there's another movie after the first one. Have you seen the other one? You got to see the other one. I have it. You can borrow it from me. You got to see what happened to his life because when he got out of all of that mess, he was really in spiritual turmoil and he ends up going to the tent. I think it was 1940, oh, 1940 something. It was in LA and Billy Graham was preaching his first crusade. It would be the crusade that would send Billy like worldwide. Louis Zamperini wanders into this tent and he's struggling with alcoholism, really bad. And, and he's a hurting man, right? He's gone through a lot. So he's turning to alcohol to try to cope with it. And then God's spirit gets a hold of Louis Zamperini in that tent and converts Louis. And then Louis would go on to speak about Jesus and about all the things that God had done in his life. God turned what was bad to good. Is that a word for anybody today? Don't you need to know that? I love this, what Paul's trying to do. John Bunyan, you'll see a picture of John Bunyan too. <clears throat> I think I have him on the screen. John Bunyan ended up being persecuted. He had a lot of opposition. You talk about somebody that went through some bad things. It was John Bunyan. I think he's the author of, um, what, Pilgrim's Progress? Is that who, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress? Just a phenomenal man of God. But he, he was also a man that went through a lot. Let me ask you some questions. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring it to a conclusion here with some thoughts. What is it that derailed you years ago? What is it that derailed you? You traveled into a black hole of pain and you haven't been able to get out of that black hole. You're just kind of in there. And you're like, I can't get out of there. Look at Paul. He says this in verse 38. He says, I am sure. He has confidence in what he's saying. He's experienced it. Now he wants the Roman Christians to really grab a hold of these truths but notice the extremes that he gives. He, he, the extremes are death nor life. Now, this is where he's going. The, the extremes, death nor life. Then he says, angels nor rulers. That's demons. So you got good angels, bad angels. Again, two extremes. He's proving a point here that there is nowhere that your, sin, that your salvation is ever going to be destroyed. There's nowhere that your faith is ever going to be completely ruptured, where you're going to fail ultimately. There's no place. So he's going to these extremes and he's thinking. 
death nor life, angels nor rulers. Then he says present or to come. Notice it, height or depth. That's more of a, like the furthest place in the universe or to the deepest places in the ocean. Again, extremes. He's driving it home that, then he adds this at the end of that little statement, nor anything else in all of creation, just in case he forgot something. There's no place where the salvation can be reversed, it can be wrecked, it can be overthrown. This, he says here in the text, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Here's where he's going. He's going and he's, he's bringing it home and he wants them to hold on to these truths about Jesus being a conqueror and then you are more than a conqueror in him, in him. And you gotta be in him. Remember that, you gotta be in him. Not out of him, separated from him, but in him, and you're more than a conqueror. All right, let me give you an illustration here because sometimes our life will feel like it's a mess. Sometimes you're gonna draw and get a picture of your life and it's really not clear what's happening to you. And it's like God is this master puzzle person. Anybody like puzzles here? Aren't puzzles like unjust and cruel punishment? Isn't it horrible? I mean, I cannot do a puzzle, but Lisa loves them. I cannot stand them. Any puzzle lovers here? Yeah, let's pray for you and you and you and you. And you. But anyway, so I wanted to illustrate this because there's this beautiful puzzle that I picked up. And there is a wonderful scene. I don't know if you can see it in the back here, but there's a wonderful, beautiful scene here of Cape Cod um, back in the old days. And our life is like this. God is building our life, and it's like pieces. He puts pieces together. And there'll be times in your world, in your existence, maybe even now, where you're not going to understand the pieces. You're not going to get it. I don't, I don't get it sometimes. And some of those pieces are going to be excruciating, excruciating, help me, help me. I've used all my words this week, three services. Excruciatingly hard. I can say that word. It's, it's like, and so those pieces are going to be like, I don't get this. So here's what I want to do for you. I have a couple of buckets full of these pieces. And sometimes you're going to be like, God, I, I don't get this. Have you ever done a puzzle? I can do a puzzle for about two and a half seconds, then I'm done. But I look at a piece, I'm like, I don't, I don't know where this goes. I don't know where this fits. You're going to be like that in your life. You're going to be like, God, this piece here that you're, you allowed into my life, this hurtful thing, this hard thing, this difficult thing, I don't get it. Where does this go? And what are you doing? And this is where Paul is really trying us to get to, to this place of, you know what? God is putting our life together. It's going to be a beautiful picture when it's done. You don't have to wait for heaven for it to be beautiful. Because some of that beauty is going to show forth, and you're going to see it after a while. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have somebody hand these out. Alicia, would you hand these out, everybody, when they're leaving the worship center? They're out there on the floor. You'll see a couple buckets. I want you to hold on to a piece of this for a month. You could hold on to it longer if you want. But every time you, you pick this out of your pocket, I want you to go, God, I don't understand what you're doing in my life right now. And this thing that is this piece here that's really bad, I know you're going to use it with your wisdom somehow. But I just don't know. I just don't know. But I really want my life to look like this again. And I know that you're doing it. 
I'm just going to hold on to your promises. I know that you're turning all bad to good. So grab one of these when you leave as a reminder, and you're just like, God, I know. I know it's going to be good. But the peace that I'm holding on to, whatever happened to you, I don't understand it, but I will one day. Does that make any sense? Grab a piece on your way out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, your precious word. Jesus, you are the conqueror. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We thank you for your word to the Roman Christians who must have been battling all sorts of opposition. And in every circumstance, you pushed it back. Our salvation is so incredible. It's so invincible. It's unbreakable. If Louis Zamperini could make it by your grace through all that he went through and it was, remained unbroken, certainly, God, you are calling us to this kind of life. It's hard. We don't understand the pieces. They don't make sense to us. And so, God, when we hold on to these puzzle pieces for the next month, help us to just release all of that to you. Maybe to symbolically take this little piece and just lay it down at the altar of worship and say, God, I know that you're building my life, maybe even rebuilding it. And so, God, I, I, I pray that you would one day reveal to me more of the story because right now it's really hard to see and I don't get it and I'm confused. But God, I'm just gonna keep trusting you. I'm gonna keep realizing and pressing forward in all the things that you have for, for me and my family. Can I just encourage you, church, encourage you with all of my heart that the Apostle Paul is speaking not just to the Roman Christians, but to us. He's saying a word to you, Harvest Redding, that your salvation is invincible. Your salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. The golden chain of salvation cannot be broken. And all of your opposition, and that might mean somebody really close to you, it doesn't mean you're not going to be opposed. Listen, you're going to be opposed. But that opposition isn't going to take you out. It will not take you out. And you'll be standing there in the end. And all of the bad things that you ever went through are, be, are turning to good. They are. They're going to be turned to good. I can't answer all of the questions as to why or how that's going to happen. But just wait and see. Give God some time and hold on to that puzzle piece and just keep believing and keep trusting him. Let's all stand to our feet and worship.